This is Real Estate Rookie episode 367. Today's guest, we are going to be talking to someone about buying a motel. We're going to learn how this is actually achievable for a rookie investor like you or me. And we're going to talk about a couple failures they had and how much money they lost. And also, uh, we're going to go through how they made it possible to purchase this 13-unit motel. I'm Ashley Kerr, and today I am solo. I am joined by the guest, Tony Robinson. Tony Robinson, welcome to the show. Ashley Kerr, I'm so excited to be here, and I think that might be the best podcast introduction I've ever had in my life. Even with all the stutters? <laughs> even even with the, with the, like the mic check? Oh, oh, we got something coming through? Yeah, no, I love that. That was good. Uh, besides that, um, I still do need you to do your co-hosting uh, portion. So please tell us, what is the Real Estate Rookie Podcast? Well, Ash, I'm super happy to do my usual co-hosting uh, responsibility. So this is the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, multiple times a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And like Ash said, today, I'm actually sharing my own story. I'm sharing some stuff going on in, in the world of Tony Robinson, some things that I've done and hopes that we can inspire some of you rookies out there to maybe swing a little bit bigger for that first or that second deal. Yeah. So Tony, we're going to be talking about a motel that you purchased. And I'm sure a lot of you are already thinking, what does this have to do with me? I'm a rookie investor. I only have one deal. Well, Tony's going to talk about how that is actually achievable. So Tony... What made you, first of all, want to purchase a motel? It was actually uh, advice from Brandon Turner. And I think I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but I was I was hanging out with him a few years ago. This was back in like late 2021. And he told me one of the things that he regretted in his investing career was that it took him so long to go bigger. And he's like, so Tony, if I can give you any advice, it's to go bigger sooner. You know, because Brandon spent a decade, he said it took me 10 years to get to 100 units. And in whatever, the four or five years that he was running open door capital, you know, they're almost like a billion dollars, something crazy like that, right? He's like, I wish I would have done this sooner because I literally cost myself hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate. So it was that conversation. I don't, I don't even think Brandon realized how, how impactful that was to me, but it, it really kind of changed the trajectory of how I wanted to focus as a real estate investor. And at that moment, I set a goal of, okay, I think we had like 15 properties that time. I said, I really want to scale up into the commercial space. And that's what kind of got me going down this path initially. So was this your first attempt and was it successful at getting your motel? Let's let's hear the full story of you on your journey to get a motel. It, it was definitely not my first uh, or my second. You know, there, there were a couple of false starts here. And uh, just to give you guys some, some context, right? A, a lot of you know my story. Some you don't. But um, when I lost my job back in 2020, uh, the only way we were able to continue scaling was through the use of partnerships, raising capital from other people. That's how we bought the vast majority of our properties after I lost my job. Um, so I'd already kind of built the skill of raising capital in some regard, but we were doing it on these smaller projects, right? We're buying homes for, you know, 300, 400, 500, 700, 800,000 dollars. They're all single family properties. Um, so I said, well, we've already got this skill of raising capital. Instead of doing it for one small single family home, what if we just, you know, blew that up? So we did it on, on something bigger and it made sense, right? You know, there, there's more. Um, scale that comes with bigger properties. You can do that faster. I said, okay, that's the goal. So back in summer of 2022, so this was, I don't know, maybe six months after that conversation with Brandon, 
I'm like all in, you know, gung ho, like, let's make this thing happen. We end up finding our first commercial property that kind of checks all the boxes that we were looking for at that time. It was like, a, I don't know, I think like 23 separate cabins. It was a res cabin resort here in California, 23 separate cabins, but all in the same like parcels, one hotel that they ran. And I said, this is great. This is exactly what we're looking for. And it was a uh, just under $6 million was the total amount we needed to raise to take that deal down. Tony, before that, what was the most expensive property you had purchased? And now you're jumping up to $6 million. I think before that, like in terms of purchase price, our most expensive was like 800 k So that's a big jump. That you got to have some confidence. Yeah. That's a massive jump, right? It, it it speaks to how, you know, maybe overconfident I am in myself sometimes. But yeah, we went from like, uh, I think it was a 785 to, you know, a five. And that was just the raise, right? That, that didn't, you know, that was all the money we needed to raise. So it was actually a little bit more than that. Um, but yeah, so I said, cool, we found this property. Let, let's start doing the work. Um, and we, we started going down the path of raising money. And, um, it started off pretty strong. You know, we were able, we did the presentations and we're talking to investors and money was coming in. And after a while, things just started to dry up and we got about halfway through that raise, just, just under 3 million bucks. And, uh, we, we just couldn't get any more cash. Like we had kind of tapped out my resources. We had tapped out my network. And it was also just a difficult time to, to raise capital during the summer of 2022. That's as the market kind of started to shift and um, folks who I knew who were way more successful than me in the world of syndicating, they were also having difficult times. Granted, they're, you know, they're raising a hundred million to my six, but even for them, it was difficult to, to kind of make that happen. So I think part of it was timing that we, we didn't necessarily time, we didn't step into this to do it the first time at the, the best time. Um, but also I think we, we didn't really lay that foundation strong enough to, to step into it and be super successful off the bat. So, um, unfortunately we, we had to end that raise. Someone else came in and, and they made a, an all cash offer, <laughs> uh, to this person. And, uh, you know, we were able to negotiate to where they gave us back our EMD, which was 50K. I was very happy to get that 50K back. But, you know, we lost probably another 50K, maybe even more on due diligence. You know, uh, legal fees alone were like 30, 35,000 bucks. There was environmental studies, uh, an appraisal for a property that big is expensive. The inspection reports were expensive. You know, we scoped the sewers and all these other things. So those costs we never got back. But uh, luckily, we, we were able to recoup some of those funds. And EMD is your earnest money deposit. That's what you're putting down, saying that I, you know, I'm going to purchase this property. And it's usually refundable until you do the due diligence. And then once that time period is done, you keep it. So you must have been past the due diligence period then. We were past the due diligence period. Money was hard. It was non-refundable. Um, but I, we were honest with the sellers and said, hey, guys, look, we don't think we're going to be able to finish this raise off. Um, and they said, okay, we, we actually have someone else that's interested and we were able to negotiate. We, we gave them all of our due diligence. So all of that, the, the appraisals, the inspections, like we gave them everything we had to the new buyer. So they didn't have to spend that money. And that's why the seller ended up giving us back our, our 50 K for the EMD. What a great, uh, little technique to try to negotiate yeah. that back instead of just walking away and that money lost. So, okay. So one thing you did mention was that you felt very confident because you were raising capital. What are three things a rookie could do today to become an expert at raising capital? So they haven't even purchased a property yet, but they want to learn how to raise capital, whether it's, you know, $10,000 to pay for rehab, whether it's a, you know, enough cash to purchase their first property from somebody. What are three things they should be doing today to be actionable at raising money? I think first you, and, and you know, this is, this is my approach and you know, other people out there might have different ways of doing this, but I can, I can tell you what we did and I'll try and break it down into three steps. 
first, we built our own competence in a certain asset class. So we we became really good, uh, you know, with our own capital at first at identifying properties that are good for short-term rentals, uh, identifying ways to analyze those deals, and and we, ex you know, we built that that skill set of our own. Uh, from there, the focus was on growing our network. So obviously, you know, we do podcasts, I have a lot of stuff on social, YouTube, you know, we go to events, we host our own events, there's a lot of different ways that we come into contact with different people who might be a good fit for what it is that we're going to do. Uh, and then the third step is you make the offer, <laughs> right? Like once you have a good opportunity, you've got to have the guts to reach out to these people who you feel might be a good fit to say, hey, look, Ashley, I know we talked a few months ago. And you kind of express an interest that if I found a good deal, you might want to see it. Well, hey, do you mind if I share something with you? And it's a simple conversation like that. And um, I, I think those are the three steps. Build your build your skill set, build your confidence, build your network, and then make the offer. Tony, I want to get into the next property uh, before the 14-unit motel and find out what lessons were learned in that one that failed for you, your opportunity cost there. But we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent. T-O, retirement.com, or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And welcome back to the show. We have our wonderful guest today, Tony Robinson, who just talked about his first commercial property where he did not succeed at purchasing it and some of the lessons learned. And we're going to go into one more before we actually get into the 
Golden Goose, a 14 unit motel. So, uh, Tony, I'm definitely excited to get more into the, the actual success of the property and learn how rookies can, you know, learn from your mistakes and also achieve something similar. But first, what happened with the second commercial property you tried to purchase? So our, our next goal was to try and just scale back the raise a little bit. Uh, so since we raised just over two million or just under three million on that first property, we said, OK, well, if we already did almost three million, let's just make sure the next raise doesn't exceed that amount. But now, mind you, almost a year had passed between that first attempt and when we tried to go around the second time. And we hadn't done a really good job of keeping those relationships warm. We basically just didn't talk to people for a year. And obviously, a lot of things change, you know, from over the course of 12 months. Um, so when we found this next opportunity, it was a development property that we were working on. And it was uh, it was somewhere on the East Coast. And it was uh, just over $2 million. We're like, we got this in the bag because we've already done this before. So we start, we go out, you know, doing a lot of the stuff we did before, reaching out to folks. But the response was a little bit quieter because we hadn't done any work beforehand to kind of warm these people up. Um, and even though my audience had grown, even though my, my reach had grown, I hadn't done any work to... Uh, introduce those people to the idea of what it is we're working on. So it was incredibly difficult the second time around. And I think the fact that it was development, we had never even done development before. So it was something new totally to us as well. Uh, we, we failed miserably <laughs> on this raise. And, you know, again, we lost another 30,000 bucks on legal fees. Um, we actually had like a lease option we were paying for in this property, trying to hold it down so we could do the raise. So we probably sunk another, I don't know, 40, 50, maybe even more. Uh, into this deal as well uh, before we had to pull the plug on it finally. So we, the, the main lesson we learned uh, after both these failures, two really, first is that you've got to consistently be raising capital even if you don't have a deal. <laughs> and we weren't doing that. We were just banking on the fact that Tony has his reputation and we can send one email out and hopefully raise you know $2 million. It's not how it works. So we learned that we need to make sure that we're constantly raising capital even if there's no deal. And the second lesson we learned was that we just needed a really small base hit. We don't need to, like you mentioned earlier, actually go from 785000 to a $6 million raise. We need to go from seven eighty five to like a million. And that's what we ended up doing on the, the deal that we actually ended up closing on. Okay, so let's get into that deal because that's the exciting part. We want to learn how you did this. So how did you, let's do kind of a little rapid fire first. How did you find the deal? Um what did you purchase it for? How did you negotiate it? Where is it located? What's my discount code to book it? <laughs> uh, we're actually going to do a big grand opening. So uh, if you want to come out, we'd love to have you. But um, we found the deal was actually listed right, right on uh, Crexy or LoopNet, whichever you want to call it. Um, so no super ninja thing there. Um, it was originally listed for over a million bucks. We ended up closing. Will you just say what those are real quick? I mean, most people know Zillow, Realtor.com, but... Yeah, so think of Crexy and LoopNet as like your commercial equivalent of Zillow and Redfin. So whereas Zillow, Redfin are primarily small multifamily and uh, single family homes, uh, Crexy and LoopNet are majority or I think all commercial properties. So you got hotels, motels, multifamily, uh, office, et cetera. Okay, so sorry to cut you off there. I just wanted to explain that because it, those websites aren't as common Um as the single family ones. So then you you found the deal and what happens next? Yeah, and quick side note, another site that we look for that works really well in the hospitality space is Biz Buy Sell. Oh, I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't think to look that look at that website as a real estate investor, but if you're doing commercial hospitality, there's actually a lot, lot on that website as well. Um, but so we find the deal. 
And um, we ended up ensuring negotiations with the seller uh, as we look at some of these commercial properties. And one of the beauties of investing in commercial real estate versus uh, traditional single family or small multifamily uh, is that sellers are more open to seller financing. Especially when you find some of these like mom and pop run boutique motels, hotels, et cetera, because they understand that, you know, if their books aren't great, these aren't super bankable assets in a traditional sense. They almost have to consider seller financing if they want to get this property sold. Now, this property had been owned uh, by a gentleman and, and he ran it, did an incredibly great job with it. He ended up passing away back in 2016 and his kids inherited the property. And you saw just year over year revenues decrease once the kids took over because they weren't on site. They didn't really have the desire to do this. It was just something they inherited after their dad passed away. And I just don't think they, they really wanted to be in this space. So, uh, revenue peaked, uh, under the dad, the last year that he ran it, it was like 600,000 bucks, uh, in annual revenue for this property. Tony, how useful do you think that was that you found that information out that the dad passed away, the kids were, you know, running it remotely across the country and do you think it's useful for somebody trying to purchase any property to find out as much as they can about the sellers? It was super useful because we knew that the kids didn't really want to do it anymore. And they had attempted to sell the property. It had been listed for a while, but they were asking too much. Um, so we, we had that information and we knew that there was a strong motivation there. And, you know, we did our best to make it a win-win, uh, but obviously I, I think it worked a bit in our favor to, to get some favorable terms from them. So what we saw when we dug into the data was that the, the property had capped out the very last year that the, the dad ran the property did like $600,000 in top line revenue, which is pretty good. You know, 13 unit motel and, in, in the city, uh, 600 grand is pretty solid. Um, the kids last year, they ran it. It was like 190 something thousand dollars. Big difference. <laughs> yeah. Only a few years later, but you know, it, it goes to show what management can do. So we said, if we can just match what the dad did, we're going to be, we're going to have a pretty good deal on our hands. So we were able to negotiate with the sellers. We got them to seller finance 80%. We had to put down 20%. Again, they're originally asking over a million bucks for this property. We got the purchase price down to $950,000. It's a 30 year amortization. It's a 10 year uh, term. And the first two years are interest only. So our, our payment right now during this interest only is like under 5,000 bucks for a 13 unit property. I have, I have single family homes right now where the mortgage is the same amount, which is crazy to think, right? So we got an incredible deal on the seller financing for this one. Was this your first offer to them or did it take some negotiation? It, we, we went back and forth a few times, um, but we, we did what we talked about, right? Where we give, we gave them a few options. We said, Hey, if we need to go out and get bank financing, this is the number. If we need to go out and do this, this is the number. Um, but if you guys want, like the the most favorable terms for you as well. Hey, let's talk seller financing. And, and that's the route we end up going down. Okay. So the question I have with this deal before we go any further into it is, did you find the deal first or the market first? What came first, the chicken or the egg? Because I feel like a motel is very specific and it's not like you can go into one neighborhood and, you know, have a hundred to choose from. So did you go and select different markets or how did you kind of find that with having such a, a rare niche of property? Ash, you're, you're totally true because if, if we were doing traditional multifamily, I could say I'm going to focus on the Dallas, Fort Worth, you know, metropolitan MSA, whatever it is. And I can go out and buy like, I can spend my whole life investing in that one market. Um, with 
hotels with hospitality, there, there's not that heavy of a concentration. So you do have to kind of spread things out, especially for the buy box that we had. So I talked about lessons learned after those two failures. We had to redevelop what our buy box was. So we said we wanted something that was um, $1 million total, right? Like we, we wanted, we didn't want to raise any more than a million bucks on any deal moving forward. Doesn't matter what the purchase price, what any of that stuff was, but the raise had to be no more than a million bucks. We knew we wanted something that wasn't going to be a full gut rehab, right? We didn't want something that we were going to have to take down to the studs and, and replace everything. Cosmetic stuff we're okay with, but we didn't want a full gut rehab. And ideally, we wanted something that gave us the option to at least attempt to, to uh, blend the idea of traditional hotel stays with an Airbnb type uh, philosophy, which is what, what we found. So when we had that buy box, uh, rehab, purchase price, raise, it kind of narrowed down what we were looking for. And since we already had experience investing near national parks, we were looking a lot near national parks. So um, to answer your question, we found the city first um, because it was kind of centrally located near uh, some national parks in Utah and Arizona. And we we actually offered on a deal last year in that city. They didn't accept our offer. We just kept our eye on that city and then this deal ended up popping up and we were able to close on it. Okay. Yeah. Cause I always worried about that or wondered about that as to being so specific as to how to find it across the country. Is it pulling up the the map and it's like, okay, I'm just going to start from the West coast and head to the East coast looking for motels. Yeah. Let me, let me just really quickly, ask talk about what I saw in this market because this applies not only to commercial, but you can also use this when you're doing uh single family stuff as well. There's five cues I look at to understand if a city is ripe for increased competition. Can we call this almost like your buy box for the market then? I guess you can. It almost is like the buy box for the market, right? But there's there's five cues. There's design, amenities, pricing, photos, and reviews. Okay, design, amenities, pricing, photos, and reviews. Design, I want to look at the competition and understand like when was the last time these units were renovated? When was the last time, you know, like are the majority of the properties 2024, super modern, nice furnishings, or are they 1990s or early 2000s type stuff? If I see a lot of properties that are lacking strong design, that's a sign for me that I can go in there and compete at a high level because I know we're going to design our properties incredibly well. Next are amenities. Like what are the things that people actually put into their properties to make it stand out? Are guests getting pools? Are they getting hot tubs? Are they getting game rooms? Are they getting things that people want to enjoy while they're on vacation? Or are most of these properties bare bones where you're just getting a bed, a mattress, and some forks and silverware? How do the photos look? Are, are there professional photos that really capture the space in the best light? Or does it look like someone hired their grandma with their 1999 Razor flip phone to take all the photos of the property? And if you see a lot of those amateur photos, that's another sign that there's an opportunity for you to go in and compete. Pricing is a fourth option. Or the fourth cue, I should say, if you see static pricing where they're charging one flat rate during busy season, one flat rate during uh, slow season, and doesn't matter if you're willing to pay more or less, you don't have a choice. Um, that's a sign to me that we can go in and probably optimize our revenue by using tools like dynamic pricing. And the last cue I look at is reviews. If I can go into a property or go into a city and see that there's poor design, a lack of amenities, terrible photos, no dynamic pricing, yet all of those properties the majority are still getting strong reviews, that's a sign to me that if I go in with a superior product, 
I'm going to immediately be competing at the top of that market. And we saw all of those cues in the city in Utah. That is awesome, Tony. And I think that easily can relate to flippers in a sense too, as to, or even just long-term rentals is going online and looking and comparing to the actual listings that are out there. You can usually tell if a house is a flipper because there's nothing personal, even if they have it staged really, really well, that it looks like someone's living there and there, but there's nothing, you know, no personal photos anywhere or things like that. Um, but comparing as to like, what is, you know, kind of the general norm in this area, or is there even any kind of quality of flipper, things like that in the finishes. And then for long-term rentals, just what are the finishes that are in different apartments too? And you can go to the different property management websites and actually look at reviews too of the different properties, especially for complexes in the area too. So we're going to take another short break. And when we get back, I want to hear about Tony's team. So, you know, Tony, Superman, amazing bodybuilder, but did he do this all himself? We're going to find out when we go right back. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Okay, we are back from our short break. So, Tony, please tell us how you took down this deal all by yourself. I did every single piece of this deal from start to finish by myself now. Um, so w- when I made the decision to get into commercial, one of the first things I recognized was that, you know, we still have our so many other things that we're juggling, right? With our, our existing single family portfolio, uh, our content, our cleaning company, like, you know, we're sk- getting into property managers, a lot of the things we're doing. So I wanted to focus on more of a top down approach where I could find a really solid right hand person and let that, let he, him kind of run with everything that needs to be done. So I did that. Um, and he, he was an old coworker of mine who just also happened to start investing in Airbnbs like separately for me. And, uh, we bumped into each other at BPCon back in New Orleans a few years ago. And he said, Tony, I've been following along, love what you're doing, brother. And I've got a few myself. And that conversation led to him becoming the COO for Robinson Capital. So he led a lot of the charge with this deal. And it was great because, you know, we would sync once a week. He'd given the update. I let him know, like, Hey, here's what I think. But, um, he really led the acquisition. He led most of the negotiations. He made sure that we had the licenses and everything and, um, really took this one across the finish line. And I, I got to act in, in more of a, an advisory role on this one. Tony, at what point do you think someone should consider hiring their first acquisitions person, their per- first COO, uh, for their company as to, you know, that's a responsibility as to bringing somebody else on your team who's not a, a lender, an agent, you know, that has other clients they're working for, but bringing somebody on to be on your team specifically. Yeah, I, this is one of those situations is kind of unique where it's more of a do as I say, not as I do, because I, I know I want the top down approach. But again, I'm in a slightly more unique position where I've got a larger reach to a lot of folks who uh, will probably enjoy the opportunity to work with me. And I'm super grateful for that. But for a lot of our rookies that are listening, they might not have that uh, opportunity. So I think for rookies that are on the call, um, instead of going top down, unless you can pay for staff and you've got like, you know, the ability to just kind of bankroll that you're probably gonna have to go bottom up to where you're going to, you're going to do everything to begin with. And then as your portfolio starts to grow, you start to pull people into those different responsibilities. But I think that'll be the, the, the process for most folks who are listening to this podcast right now. Okay. So besides X, who else on your team did you bring on? We had some acquisitions interns. We had some folks helping with uh, investor relations um, and we had some marketing uh, folks as well. So most of those people were with us just for a couple months. Again, it was more of an internship thing where they kind of jumped in. They, they got to see behind the scenes and hopefully learn a thing or two about how we 
do it. But um, X is really my CEO is the, the main person that's been with me from start to finish on this. Okay. And the most important person on your team is my wife. Yes. <laughs> Good. You answered correctly. I was it's nervous there for wife. a second with the hesitation. It's, it's always my wife. No, it's always my wife. Um, so Sarah, she wasn't super involved and she usually isn't on the acquisition side. But now that we've closed, she, that's when the baton really gets passed to her. So we, we actually got our crew from California to agree to drive up to Utah uh, every week. They drive up on, I think, like Saturday afternoon come back home the the following like Thursday night or Friday morning, whatever it may be. Um, and uh, they're doing the rehab for us. That was a, a huge relief for us because we didn't have to go into this new market and try and source someone new who we've never worked with to do our biggest rehab job ever. So the fact that we've got a crew that's already done a lot of work for us that we know like the back of our hand who we've got a great relationship with, who Sarah has a great relationship with. Now she's been managing the rehab, making sure that they're executing on design and doing everything we need them to do there. What about licenses and permits for that area? So here's the thing. It's easier in a lot of places to get licenses for your hotel than it is for a traditional single family Airbnb. Uh, all we had to do was renew our business license, which was, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks for this entire commercial property. And I have properties in California where we're spending like $1,300 for uh, a two-year Airbnb license, right? So significantly easier, significantly less expensive, and it'll vary from city to city, but that's what we had to do for ours. Okay. So the last thing I want to know about before we kind of wrap up here is what is the structure of the actual ownership? Because you you have your team, you have you, you've raised private money for this. So tell us, how is that structured? So we have uh, four partners that have actual equity ownership in this deal. Um, so we created, so you, if you guys know, a lot of times I'll just do like JV agreements. We actually created a new entity specifically to, to take ownership of this property. Um, so I own 21% of that LLC. My COO owns 9%. And then we have two partners that brought the majority of the capital and they own the remaining 70%. Um, there are decisions that we have to make collectively. So this isn't a syndication where I have the final say-so on all these big decisions. Um, so they, they are somewhat actively involved in making those big uh, decisions. Luckily, they, they do defer to me as the expert here to make a lot of those choices, but that's how we have it set up. Uh, and then my team is going to do the day-to-day -day management. So we also get a management fee for doing that once the property goes live. Okay, so Tony, congratulations on this deal. And I'm super excited for all of us to follow your journey as you're renovating this motel. And for all of us, all the rookie, the whole rookie community to come and stay at it for the grand opening. But how is this possible for a rookie investor to make this happen? One of the first things I'll say is that commercial itself doesn't necessarily mean bigger always than traditional single family homes. I know people out there right now, again, our purchase price was $950,000. I know people right now who are buying single family properties or small multifamily properties, duplexes in some places for over a million bucks. It's not necessarily a bigger price tag every single time. So I think that's the first thing that people have to understand is that every market's different and you can sometimes find these boutique motels and, and, and hotels for less than the cost of a 
single family property in your market. So I think that's the first misconception. And, you know, AJ Osborne mentioned this when we interviewed him, Ash, right? It was episode 340 where he said, I can go out and buy a self-storage facility and get 50 units for sometimes less than the cost of someone buying a, a single family home. And it's the same thing when you get into the commercial hospitality space as well. So I think that's the first thing. People just have to understand that. The second piece, and this was the, the big part for us, is that the opportunity to get seller financing is also greater when you go into the commercial side of things. So you can be in a position where depending on the seller, maybe they only want 5% down. Maybe they don't want anything down, right? It's all what, what you're able to negotiate. But there's also not only the possibility to get a lower purchase price, but you could also get less money out of pocket to own and control this asset. So I think that's another thing that folks need to understand. And in terms of how to actually do this, right? Once you've got those beliefs out the way, what do you actually do? Decide on, on your buy box. Again, we, we went through three iterations of what our buy box looked like before we found the right version of that. But decide on your buy box. How much cash do you have to put into it? What purchase price do you want? What level of rehab are you trying to go after? Do you want uh, like uh, commercial assets in metro locations? Like are you trying to buy in Los Angeles and Detroit and Chicago? Or do you want vacation destinations like where we're at, near national parks and things of that nature? So decide on your buy box and then go out there and start making offers. We looked at a bunch of deals, a bunch of deals before we found this one that made sense. So you've got to have a commitment to every single week, reach out to brokers, analyze those deals. And with enough volume and a, and a really tight buy box, there's a good chance you'll find your, your own property as well. I actually saw listed uh, a campground or maybe it was a mobile home park and, you know, it was just maybe 10 pads on it and it was 265000 I mean, I don't know anything about the market it was in or anything like that, but there are smaller commercial deals that you can purchase starting out. You don't have to start out with a 40 unit apartment complex or 40 unit motel. And also depending on the market you look at too, like a, a 13 unit motel in Palm Springs is probably going to be way more expensive than the 13 unit motel that you purchased, depending on the market too. So I'm going to go over real quick, all of my notes that I took down to kind of summarize for you guys, the lessons that we learned today from Tony and his search for the boutique motel. So the first thing is raising capital. Uh, three things that you can do is become an expert in your asset class and what your strategy is, and then build your brand and network. And then the third thing is to make offers because once you get an offer accepted, you now have an opportunity to present to someone else. The next thing is sticking with your strategy and what you know. Getting Don't get shiny object syndrome. Don't try to take a twist on your strategy like Tony did with trying to do new development and raise money. Stick to what you know. Then also have a defined buy box and pivot if you need to. Uh, not overreaching, not too large of a jump. I couldn't almost read my handwriting, <laughs> but that's when Tony went from buying, you know, his most expensive to 900,000 all the way up to, you know, now a $6 million deal, million dollar deal. So don't overreach and then have a team with you. Start building a team. Even if it's one virtual assistant that you're paying $6 an hour to do some, you know, deal sourcing for you. And then have contingencies or reserves in place for failures. So Tony talked about in his first two failures, all the money that he lost just from due diligence. 
Make sure you can afford to lose that money. Don't be dumping your life savings, maxing out your credit cards for appraisal fees on deals and then not have it go through because then you might get into the situation where you don't have a choice but to continue forward because you just don't want to lose that money um, and you don't want to, <laughs> to have to feel that pain. So uh, I have actually another whole page of notes, but um, the next thing was like market or deal. You know, figure out for your strategy what's most important to define first and build out the buy boxes for both. So, uh, Tony, thank you so much. That was that was such a lovely recap. Yeah, I love that. You put a little <laughs> bow on that perfectly, Ash. Yeah. Is there anything else that uh, you would add? No, I, I think that's it, right? I think the last thing I want to share is just how the property, at least what we're projecting, what it might do. Um, and look, before I even touch on like the numbers and what we what we think from a revenue perspective, one of the big reasons we wanted to transition into commercial was because you have a little bit more control over the value of the property than you do with a traditional single family home. With a single family home, your value is only based on the uh, appraisal and your appraisals are based on comparable sales. So appraisals or appraisers are looking for other, you know, three bedroom, two baths and seeing what they sold for that is similar to yours. And that's what your property will appraise for. So even if you have a long-term rental, that's it's exceptionally profitable, or even if you have an Airbnb single family, that's exceptionally profitable, that doesn't necessarily play into what that property is worth from an appraisal standpoint. When we got into the commercial space, now we understand that the appraised value, the value of that property is based somewhat on what other properties are selling for, but also it's based on the income and the NOI, the net operating income of your own property. So for us, even if the other values and the properties of other properties in that city say the same, if we can just increase the net operating income, we're increasing the value on the back end of that property. And, you know, when you see big guys like Grant Cardone and, and Sam Zell and all these other really big commercial real estate players, the way that they're really making a lot of their money is not even necessarily from the cash flow, it's from buying an undervalued asset increasing the NOI, refinancing, and now they're getting back, you know, multiple seven, 10, eight figures uh, back and it's all tax-free because it's debt. So there, there's a lot that goes into this that we're, we're really starting to uncover. So um, I think we're really excited for that piece of it. Yeah. And just to showcase what some of those things are that you do to add that value is increasing the rents or increasing the daily rate, you know, renovating the property, to increase that and then just the overall management and the operations of the property too. So, okay, let's talk about that. You you talked a little bit about how the value is based on the appraisal. What was the appraisal when you purchased the property? It so we bought it for 950 and it appraised for like just under a million bucks. So pretty much spot on to what we got it for. And then what do you do you plan on when do you plan on refinancing and what do you project the new appraised value will be? Yeah. So um we're doing the rehab right now. Um so the, the goal is hopefully get this thing launched. And again, our goal, what we underwrote at was just to really match what the property was doing before the kids took over. We think we can probably exceed those numbers, but if we can just get back to steady state of like half a million bucks a year in, in top line revenue, um, that that should really increase the value of this property. All right, so what we're what we're projecting here, Ash, is that assuming we can hit our projections, getting the property back to the performance uh, when the the dad ran it. Again, we bought it for nine fifty. Assuming cap rates hold and, you know, they could fluctuate over the next couple of years, but we're projecting it to be valued at about 2.1 million bucks once we're all said and done with it. Wow. 
So a nice big increase there. Hopefully. Fingers crossed we can get there, you know? That's that's amazing. So you're projecting to get to around half a million a year. And what are some of the things that you're going to be doing on the operations side? We, you know, you talked about that you're renovating, but what about the actual operations piece to increase that revenue? Yeah. So the the goal is once the renovations are complete, we'll obviously start to bump up the ADR so that we can uh, make sure that we're, we're charging the right value for our product. Um, the kids weren't running the property year round. Uh, AZR for non-experienced short-term rental is average daily rate. Average it's, daily okay. rates. Yeah, average daily <laughs> so rates. I was like, I don't, uh, I'm not sure if I know that one. <laughs> yeah, so we want to get the rates up, right? What we're charging on average. Um, the other thing we're going to do is we're going to run it year round. The, the dad was running the property all 12 months. Uh, when the kids took over, they were shutting it down from like October, I think uh, October 30th through I think like March 1st or something. So they lost a few months out of the year because it does get slower during the winter months, but a lot of folks are still open. So we're going to run it 12 months a year like the, like the dad was. Um, and then our, our, our goal is to try and really control the expenses as well. Um, they had a lot of just random stuff that they were like, you know, charging to the property that maybe shouldn't have been charged to the property. So we're, we're really going to make sure the expenses, uh, align with the, the actual operations there. So control the expenses, get those in check, grow the revenue. Um, and then what, what we want to do, our goal is to make this a self check-in, uh, hotel, motel. Um, so there'll, there'll be no front desk. Um, we're probably going to turn the lobby area into a bit of a hangout spot with some vending machines and games and things like that. So we can potentially generate some more revenue there as well. But that is the operational game plan we've got uh, for it right now. Are you going to have uh, Sean uh, start a, a vending machine business and have him operate the vending machines in there? He'll, he'll have to pay rent just like anybody else will if he wants to, you know. Well, Tony, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, real quick before we end, though, what is the timeline of this? So when did you purchase this? When did you start, you know, did you start rehab right away? When is rehab going to be done? And when should I book my flight for the grand opening? Um, so we we started negotiations over the summer. We ended up going under contract. I want to say like, um, I think it was early September. And initially it was a 60-day escrow. So we would have had all of September and October to do this. Um, the sellers came back to us and, uh, during the inspection, during the due diligence, we found some issues with termites. They had to basically tent the whole place and make sure that termite issue was resolved before we bought it. So it took them another like 45 days to, to do that, to give us back the certification that the issue was resolved. Um, and then as we were kind of going through our, our capital raising, one partner ended up backing out. So we needed another like 30 days in the back end to replace that person. So we ended up closing literally the last Friday of the year, uh, in 2023, uh, so it was, you know, what is that? Four months almost is what that, that period took. Um, and we started rehab almost immediately. I think like a week after we closed, the, the demo started and we're projecting to be done, uh, with the rehab, hopefully in March. So about 90 days, give or take. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll do the grand opening right there afterwards at. So, so book your, uh, book your trip to, to Utah so you can come check it out. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, Tony, thank you so much for uh, sharing your most recent deal with us and congratulations. I, I appreciate you having me on. I feel incredibly uh, grateful to be a guest on your podcast today. And I do hope my story inspires some folks to take that next step as well. But Ash, I got to say, you are a phenomenal podcast host and uh, you you are far better than that other guy who typically co-hosts with you. So I'm glad I got to talk to you today, not the other guy. Well, if you were inspired by Tony, make sure you check out his book, Real Estate 
partnerships. He donates 50% of the profit to Ashley Care. So you can check that out on biggerpockets.com in their bookstore or on Amazon. And if you want to learn more about Tony, we will link his information in the show notes. I'm Ashley and I'm your host today. I hope you enjoy the show. <laughs> feel so awkward because I usually do Ashley and Tony, but um, yeah, Ashley and Tony signing off. Palm Springs, Florida might actually, is that even, is that a place that's Palm Springs in Florida? Is that California? Palm Springs in California. <laughs> oh my God, Tony, you're rubbing off on me. <laughs> Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.